Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice, musician turned entrepreneur and co-founder of 6th Ave Homes and 6th Ave Storytelling. Over the past 10 years, I have launched multiple successful businesses and have become obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and marketing. I've been on a personal quest to unpack what it takes to make and grow a great brand. One thing that I've discovered is that stories are powerful and that storytelling has the power to set a brand apart. Join me as I dive into the stories of the heavy-hitting leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and business owners in our community to hear their biggest wins, greatest losses, and their best business secrets. There's a story behind every great brand. Welcome to Stories with Soul. Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6th Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. We help small businesses grow by crafting and sharing their stories because when small business thrives, cities and communities prosper. Stories with Soul is brought to you by the Fort Worth Business Press, your source for news and business information in and around Fort Worth. Sign up for the Business Press's twice-daily newsletter or become an insider using the storytelling coupon code STORYTELLING10, all one word, to stay up to date with the people, companies, and issues that matter most to Fort Worth. Head to fortworthbusiness.com to subscribe. I am a huge fan of the Business Press. I've been a subscriber for years. It keeps me up to date with everything that is going on in Fort Worth. Love it. Go subscribe for the newsletter. You won't regret it. Welcome to Stories with Soul. I am your host, Jamie Ice. I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy Williams. And we have a good friend, a local Fort Worth legend, Rich Connor in the house today. Rich, w- welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so we, I objected we, legend right off the start, but <laughs> let's keep going. We're gonna keep going. So I start out by just reading sort of your highlight reel, and <laughs> and I yeah. like doing this in front of the person versus like you know a lot of a lot of podcasts read it before pre-recorded or something, but because I think it's fun to talk about someone's successes, then we'll kind of dive into it. And you, my friend, have done a lot of crazy stuff, which is why I'm, I'm why you're here and why I'm excited to dive in. But you are an award-winning journalist, writer, and editor. Over the past 50 years, uh, you have compiled an impressive list of credentials with three Fortune 500 media companies, several companies that you have owned and started. You ran the Star-Telegram from 1986 to 1997. And at that time, that was that was like the height of Star-Telegram's heyday. That was like the height we of the newspaper world. We were the 25th largest newspaper out of 1,700 in the country. Which yeah. is that you just stole some of my thunder there. But that, <laughs> but that I mean, that's crazy. I didn't yeah, know that. No, it was big uh, paper. I also read that, that while you were president and during that time, you took the company from $125 million in revenue to $300 million by 1997. About $350 million. Which is insane. Yeah. Uh, Why $50 million here or there? I don't know. Who's going to argue? But that's even, like, think about a newspaper making that much is blows my mind which we'll talk about that like okay. the, the state of newspapers today you've owned personally owned over 70 newspapers you currently have newspapers in virginia and texas you spearheaded the development of uh the implementation of the first online digital newspaper ever the star text which was part of the, right. the, the star telegram in the mid 80s until the year 2000 i i didn't even know the internet was was <laughs> around then. thing it so was... we're gonna dive into that um 
You also created what would be now be called the the one of the first podcasts in 1995 uh, with Audio Star, which was a daily cassette tape version of the daily newspaper. Right. What on earth? We're gonna, yeah. Right. That's couldn't crazy. interest <laughs> anybody in it. <laughs> but that was like that was probably like the the uh, <clears throat> that was podcasting. Radio Shack and Tandy used to give us the cassettes and um and we'd promote them and one of the questions was what 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 do you do with them? <laughs> Yeah, when yeah, they're done. Right? <laughs> they're like of a short, a short right. shelf life. Yeah. Okay, my final bullet point is you were also the vice president of Capital Cities Inc., uh, which was the, the publisher and the the owner of the of the Star Telegram. But Capital Cities Inc. went on to become Capital Cities ABC and then Disney. So you literally were like <laughs> the right. VP yeah. of the company that that became the Disney Corporation. We were a little company. I was. Just a part of it. I mean, that's, but yeah. uh, um, went to work for him by accident. But it was a little company that bought a big company buying ABC. And then ultimately we were bought by Disney. Yeah. And uh, um, and so, and I did that for a couple of years and that just was not a good fit for me. Yeah. The company I worked for, you haven't asked, but Capital Cities was really unique in this regard. Um if you got asked, if you, for, first of all, were lucky enough to go to work for them. They're primarily a radio and TV station company. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were limits on what you could own. And so they got into the newspaper business. The biggest papers they owned were uh, the Star-Telegram and two papers in Kansas City, the Kansas City Star and Kansas City Times. The rest were a few smaller, but they never got that big into it. They had a lot of trade publications. But if you went to work for them and then you were lucky enough to run one of their properties, and they owned BAP um, also that came with the Star-Telegram as well as uh, KSCS, the country. Okay, the, the two radio stations. And if you were lucky enough to run one of those radio stations or the Star-Telegram, you ran it like you owned it. Someone from New York might come visit once a year. They didn't even get the newspaper in New York. We didn't even send them the they, paper. They weren't even checking what you were doing. No. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of autonomy and authority. Total autonomy. That's cool. Yeah. It was totally decentralized. And uh, um, there were there were no rules and procedure in writing you were just expected to know the right thing to do and you hoped you did and went to new york once a year and presented a budget i usually had money added to mine we were growing so fast um and it worked um there was but there was no control from far away you were supposed to that you're in fort worth or i was in other places as well Act like that's where you live. That's where you're going to be, and 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 be loyal to those things in that community, as well as in those days you were buying papers from families. In this case, buying it from the Amon Carter family, hmm. and treat them like they're still owners. Hmm. And so, so we, when you when you came aboard, the Amon Carter family owned Star Telegram still. Yes. Oh yeah. wow! It was run by Amon Carter Jr. That's uh, owned by. Eamon Carter Jr. and his sister, Ruth Carter Stevenson, she really was the uh, brains and the power behind the Carter Museum. She had a worldwide reputation yeah, in the art famous. museum world. She did that. Eamon Jr. ran the paper, and we bought it from them in, I think, 1976 or 77. Wow. Uh, I was the 
third guy to come to run it. But but the beauty of it and why I started this is you had total autonomy. Mm. And when we got bigger with ABC, the autonomy changed the same. But we became a lot more like ABC than they did Cap Cities. And it was just so big and they had they produced so much money. Um, uh, we just came a little more corporate. But then when Disney came on board, and it's a great company, and <clears throat> on and on, uh, I thought I was a corporate executive till they came on board. And then I realized I wasn't used to all the really control that they wanted yeah. from. We, we had to take a paper out to DFW Airport and put it on a plane so that it would be on the chairman, Michael Eisner's desk in the morning. Michael Eisner was reading the paper, like actually reading your paper? Well, his biggest investors at that time were the Bass family. <sighs> really? Particularly Sid Bass, yeah. And uh, after we sent them a couple, his assistant called me. He said, Mr. Connor, <clears throat> Mr. Eisner loves the newspaper. He loves getting it. By the way, it comes all rolled up. And we iron it. <laughs> they iron it for it. And I said, well, how do you keep from setting it on fire? <laughs> so we put a towel over it. Can you send it flat? <laughs> and next day, I said, we'll have to take it to put it on a plane. She said, we really don't care. Wow. So we sent the paper flat to Michael Eisner by putting it on a plane at DFW. That every was day? Every day. How much did that cost? I have no idea. That's oh, I mean, guess uh, it's like fancy. And, and but this is before there's no internet. So you're not just there's no PDF. No. To, and yeah. Uh, yeah. that's so great. And and he called one day because we sent our travel writer to Florida, who did a story on the Universal Park that I think it was Universal built a theme park there. Mm -hmm. And he phoned and said, "You know, do you think that's really a good idea doing that when Disney you're owned by Disney?" And I'm like. Uh, yes, I actually do think it's a pretty good idea, you uh, know. Uh, but for me, the symbolism of them getting a paper every day in Los Angeles, a star telegram. Um, and then reading it from afar, not being part of the community, yeah. telling you how to do it, what to do. That yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. that, that would be frustrating. And so I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't like them, and they didn't like me, by the way. Yeah. So um, we tried it. Yeah, you failed you, once, you and like, I you like being your own boss. I was used to, yeah, yeah. I wasn't it, used to. <laughs> what's the, and what we did? What I didn't mention it is you then went on to. Did you start the business press in Fort Worth? No, you no. Didn't. It was founded uh, by uh, no. It was started in I think nineteen eighty seven um, by a woman who was an entrepreneur moved here from Kansas City. She was very smart, and she sold it a time or two and. No, I bought it and I left the Star Telegram, started my own company, and I bought it when I had that company. I have investors. You know, yeah. I one time had 70, 90 titles. I didn't own all those. I, yeah. I owned part Piece of my investors. It. Yeah. yeah. But, you, so, but you have owned the business, or you and your investors or whoever have owned the business press three different times? Now, I've owned it. I owned it with investors once and I've owned it myself twice. Yourself twice. Yeah. And now that's your main thing. Right. That's that's kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. And, and, and so so what's interesting to me that I, where I would, where I'd like to kind of start, we already kind of started, we're already <laughs> jumping in talking about Disney, which is fascinating, is you, you're you're in your background was in journalism, right? Like you 
you were a writer and a journalist who then wound up doing all this crazy business stuff and investors and papers and buying and selling and running and managing. Right. How um, did how did that? Cause, because because I think what's interesting about that is is when I think of j- journalism is is a writer. It's like an artist. You know, it's it's a creative kind of thing, which is often very different than and you still write you still have a column mm-hmm. that you write every single i feel like journalists the character of a successful journalist is like part detective part crazy because you just got to go do it and like bust through doors to like investigate stuff but then also part creative and be this there's an eloquence eloquence of writing then this maybe a complicated story or writing an interesting story or finding something interesting and something that people can't do and that character is those characteristics I always feel like our don't always always translate to like, business. Oh, yeah, business or ownership. So that's why this how this isn't I unique. think they usually don't. Yeah. How did know. that ha- like how did that have Well, what was your you know, I of first of all, I used to I mean, now I would say that I've been a journalist for 54 years. Is that what you call yourself? You would you identify more as a journalist or more as a business? No, I used to I used to say that I'm a newspaper man. Okay. Um, I thought journalists put on airs, um, quirky, makey sense. Um, I, I was an English major in college who got a job at a newspaper. Hmm. Why? Because I needed the money and uh, I wanted to write and I knew I couldn't go off to a cabin someplace and write a novel. So I thought I'll get a, someone help me get a job at a newspaper. Where, I couldn't where, type. Where was your first newspaper? Um, actually, it was in Jackson, Michigan. It was called the Jackson Citizen Patriot. And uh, a friend and mentor got me a summer job there. Um, and you couldn't type, you said? No. I had an interview with the editor for an internship between my junior and senior year in college. I had two senior years in college, so that was the first one. And uh, <laughs> um, he interviewed me and... Uh, he said I'd been recommended by this guy that he knew who was nice to me. And uh, I got up to leave and he said, oh, uh, Mr. Connor. And I turned around and he said, you can type, right? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out, literally got in a car. Girlfriend was with me. I said, I think they're going to hire me. And I really needed a job. And uh, And I went to a office supply store and I bought a typing book and then I put that I had a manual typewriter and I sit down and I typing I tried book, that for about a typing book meaning like here's how to type yeah okay <laughs> like typing for dummies kind of <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely <laughs> put your fingers here okay and the quick brown fox or whatever it is jumped yeah. over the lazy dog's back uh, yeah yeah yeah. I think that's what it was. Because they didn't they weren't teaching this in school or college or anything. Well, they yeah, I think in some high schools they taught typing and whatever, but uh and so but you're going I tried your... that a couple nights and I thought and I figured <laughs> so I still can't type. <laughs> so were you but to get to get whatever you were writing into the paper you had to type it. No, I 
<laughs> oh, you were like, like what's it called? Catch, yeah, catching my fingers, fingers in the, yeah. in the. We're talking about manual typewriters. Wait, wait, like, hold on. So you still do you still don't like type a lot? Like do you still, still type I don't one? type with a lot of confidence? You're still like onesie, <laughs> onesie and twosies. I know I do. Like, okay. I get all kinds of different things like around like this <laughs> and up like that. I've you know. I've adapted over the years, but uh, I think this might be the single best thing that you're still adapting with your crazy typewriting <laughs> skills, and you've owned this many papers. And, and I'm a banger. I mean, my fingers are like ah. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so, so what happened? Were you good? Like, did you figure out like? Yeah, I figured out how to get by. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, in those days, that paper I worked for was a great paper in Michigan. It was owned by a company that owned eight eight papers in Michigan, and. Uh, those days were tough. I mean, the in the newspaper business, it was it was like what if you've seen front page or any of those old. This is what it was like. They drank it. They they drank in the office. <laughs> they drank in the morning. They like drank smoking. afterwards. They were, um, you know. This episode of Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6th Ave Storytelling. At 6th Ave Storytelling, we know that stories aren't just for bedtime. They're powerful marketing tools, and we've seen what they can do. Want to see for yourself? Download our free PDF, The Storytelling Pathway, on our website, 6thAveStorytelling.com. It's everything your business needs to be successful. This is what I've used to grow my businesses and hundreds of others. It's a strategy that has led to number one albums, built large followings, and has helped generate millions of dollars in revenue, thousands of leads, and tons and tons of traffic. I've seen client after client reach their goals, which is why I'm crazy excited to share it with you today. I'm offering this for free because it's my personal mission to support small business owners and entrepreneurs no matter where they are at on their journey. Because small businesses are the heartbeat of a city, and they really are what make it special. Sixth Avenue Storytelling has helped brands across the country grow their business using these exact steps. Head to sixthavestorytelling.com and download the Storytelling Pathway to get your step-by-step guide today. Stories with Soul is brought to you by Fort Worth Business Press. The Fort Worth Business Press has been instrumental for me as a business owner. They were actually the first publication to ever cover Sixth Avenue Homes and also Sixth Avenue Storytelling, which were huge, huge wins for our companies. I also have been following along for years. I've been a subscriber. It has allowed me to keep up to date with everything that is happening in the business community and see what other business owners are doing and just stay involved in all sort of the economic development of what is happening in Fort Worth. If you are in any way involved in business, you should go subscribe and sign up for their publication, uh, sign up for their twice daily newsletter. And, and, and they're actually offering a storytelling discount right now. If you listen to the podcast, become an insider using the storytelling code storytelling 10, all one word, lowercase to stay up to date with the people and companies and issues that matter most visit fortworthbusinesspress.com to sign up today. Uh, want to be careful here, but literally they take a, you, you did a story and you did a carbon <laughs> and, and it up on the city desk, you turn it in and if they're going to run it, they call it, they'd spike it. It had a spike. It was like all old time newspaper stuff. It was very exciting. Yeah. Very noisy. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was a lot of, I mean, it was like fast wow, pace. Yeah. Typewriters were loud. People hollered across the room at one another. Yeah. Um, and if you've, 
turn something into the city editor, he'd take a piece of paper, he'd have the carbon. He might pick it up and go, Connor, this is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd go over there, and I, I was 20 years old. Yeah. I'd say, uh, he'd say, yeah, he's just horrible. Yeah. And I go, oh, uh, what should I do? He'd say, rewrite it. How? If I have to tell you how, I'll do it myself. Go figure it out. It was hard. It really uh -huh. was. It was it was brutal. And I I did a I was close to a miserable failure that first summer. Did you did that type of leadership of just figure it out? Did you respond well to that? Like did Yeah, you I liked it. I thought it was it was challenging. I mm -hmm. liked to I'd rather that than whatever. And uh um uh I mean this could go on and on. I got very lucky. They were trying to figure out what to do. And we had eight interns there. They were all journalism majors. I wasn't. Okay? You were an English major, which is different. As an English major who had a poster of uh, in his bedroom of Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Who had been a newspaper <laughs> to total, reporter. Total English major. Right. Ernest yeah. Hemingway. And, right. And I'm, you know, I'm reading The Old Man in the Sea because it's short. And then Farewell to Arms <clears> and thinking... I just get a newspaper job and then I'll write a couple novels <laughs> without going to war. Um, and um, so that's why I was doing it. And uh, they couldn't figure out what to do with me, clearly. When I was didn't have anything to do, they didn't assign me a lot of stories. I would take a Time magazine and I would sit there and try to <laughs> try to write the stories out of time so I could learn to type. Practice your typing. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And... Uh, um, uh, a lot of pressure and stress, and uh, uh, I thought I was going to get fired every day. <laughs> and they put me on the, they put me with a guy on the police beat. Uh -huh. So we'd start at four or five in the morning, and we'd go to the city police, county sheriff, fire department, state police. And in those days, Jimmy's former policeman, you'd go in, and once they knew you, you'd go in the back room, and all the logs would be there. You'd go through and read all the police reports. Uh, and try to find the stuff that was whatever. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean, you, you talk about open records and access. He, they trusted you and knew you. You look at everything, right? Uh -huh. And so I followed this guy around for about a week. And then on a Monday morning, I showed up at the city police department at 4.30 or 5. And then it became 5.30. Then it became 6. And he wasn't there. And I thought, oh, this is a trick. They want to see if I've learned the police speak. I'll just do it myself. So I went around, had a little reporter's notebook, and went to all the places. And I walked back in, walked up to the city editor who, who directed all the reporters. He looked up at me and he said, Connor, what are you doing here? I said, I did the police beat. He says, What? I said, yeah, I got a little <laughs> notebook here. And he said, where's Gavin? The guy's name was, I remember it, Tom yeah, Gavin. Yeah. I said, Gavin didn't show. I figured you guys want to see if I could do it. He goes, oh, no. He's our police reporter today. Call Gavin. He's fired. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I, he yeah. said, tell me what you got. And you go, 
I got this, I got that. So go write like, it. It was an like afternoon that. paper. He said, go write what you got as fast as you can. Give it to me. We got to get it in the afternoon paper. And I became the police reporter for the rest of the <laughs> just summer. Like, just because yeah. you showed up and blindly did yeah. it. I love it. And, you know, probably, you know, what Jimmy's talking about, that's probably when I became a journalist. I mean, uh -huh. you go, first of all. You liked it? You enjoyed it? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, first of all, first when you get through the shock yeah. of 20 years old from a little town in Maine. Mm-hmm. You're from Maine originally. I'm from Bangor, Maine, and and but I've lived here 36 years off and on. And you're reading the stuff that again I'm you know I'm I'm pointing at Jimmy. You're reading the stuff that went on the night before. Crime stuff, yeah. Yeah. Stabbings, murders, uh -huh. rapes. It's I mean, domestic abuse. I didn't even know stuff like that happened. I yeah. really didn't. Yeah. So when you get past that, then you know, you get into whatever, and but you like the hustle and bustle. I loved the action. Mm -hmm. and, and was it was it itching your sort of English expression, kind of Hemingway? Hemingway, like did did it itch that enough? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it was well. It was like Hemingway <clears throat> wrote short sentences with no. I didn't want any flowery, whatever, you know. And uh, uh, and then you get into occasionally they would say you can't see this, and yeah, you'd have to go say oh, I can see it. And then you get into issues like that I knew nothing about because I wasn't a journalism major. Public's right to know, open records. And so this is this is just you're just reporting. This is a re reporting. This is not opinions about oh no this is just you're not are you solving crimes like, or anything it's like, like no no this is like just the facts okay just the facts. no so so what so how do you go from that an intern who's now doing crime stuff in detroit or not detroit but michigan yeah it was, it was suburban no one mm -hmm. even suburban detroit a little town in michigan actually the home at that time of the largest walled uh maximum security prison in the country um but um well, I went back to college, and uh, I was the editor of the college paper, which was a fluke. And um, and then um, <clears throat> the local paper in the town where the college was, little, they knew I'd been at the big paper uh -huh. neighboring town. Yeah, you got some cred. I, and I had no ability. I'm not joking. And they called me and said, hey, would you like to come to work here? And... I needed a job then, too, and I said, yeah. And um, <clears throat> I went into that paper. It's this interesting thing, I think, about human nature. I'm not being humble. I was terrible in that summer internship. Mm -hmm. I got by, and when they did my exit interview at the end of the internship, the guy said they had eight other, seven other papers. He said, normally we say we'll recommend you to go to another one when you graduate. He said, no. Uh, <laughs> but he said, we'll take you back here <laughs> because we like you. <laughs> they liked said, you, but they not, like me. you're not good at your job. But right. <laughs> we, yeah, we, no, we, we like you as a person. Uh, and yeah. I went back to the college and to this school newspaper. And I was the editor and I had a couple managing editors. And the, and and the editor is, ed, what is the, ed, like editor, when, when I think of editor, I think of like you're, 
checking for typos, but the editor's actually like kind of the boss. They're yeah, kind of like, all, all you know has a couple other editors, and then the reporters work for them. Okay, the editor's kind of saying what goes in and what goes out. The, yes. the direction, kind of like right. the director of right. the film. And if they're hands-on, they're reading stories, and mm. they're saying, this is, change this, change so that. You, so you were made the editor of the school paper. Of the school paper. Because of your experience. Paper. Because of your experience. No, I had been the editor the okay. year before. It was a, <clears throat> another total fluke. Um, total. And so I went back, and the people that worked at the college paper, they all wanted to work for newspapers. That was not my goal. Mm -hmm. And I had a... There was a woman named Chris who was my, you know, key person. Actually, I wrote my stuff out longhand, and she typed them for me. And um, <laughs> she came in and said, what was it like? What was it like? And I said, it was horrible. It was horrible. I was bad at it. They treated me badly. You know, they screamed at me. Um, but we, every Friday night, we went out and drank a lot of beer. <laughs> and she said, what did you learn? And I said, um, I learned what I don't want to do. And she said, what? And I said, I do not want to be a newspaper reporter. I wasn't very good at it. And uh, and then got a call from the local newspaper. And what you said is really interesting. I needed the job. I went there to work in the sports department part-time. And when I walked in that newsroom of that little paper, the one I'd worked at was three or four times as bigger. Mm -hmm. I had instant credibility. And they were like, wow. I had worked where they wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And that sense of credibility was enormously empowering to me. I was it like, gave uh, you confidence. I was like, whoa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there. I did the, I was on the police beat. What? Yeah. Did that for most of the summer. Um, no. And so it was amazing what that did for my self confidence. In, and then I started working there and I uh, worked there part time and then I worked there full time and, I became the editor of that paper. I think I was 22. Wow. And um, I'm assuming everyone else working there is older, a lot not older, 22. Yeah. <laughs> we had a society editor who took a lot of bribes from people and stuff, coats and <laughs> trips. And yeah. I fired, oh, really? her, I fired her three times. Uh. <laughs> she was still there when I left. <laughs> I was going to say. Like, she, she was about 45 or 50. Uh, I was 22. I'm like, you're fired. And she'd say, you can't I'm going to go see the publisher. And he, yeah. He'd call me into his office. She'd be crying. He'd say, please don't fire Geneva. And I'd say, oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they were all older than I was. But um, what happened is I – that place, I really – we did a lot of small-town reporting and some investigative stuff. I had some good reporters. And I really uh, became enamored of the impact that I thought a newspaper could – in those days, a daily newspaper today, not the same, but that a, a newspaper could have on a community. What do you mean Watchdog on government, you know, who's stealing, who's, you know, who isn't, um, what you need to know. What you need to know to plan your day and your week, um, being entertaining, providing good writing, which and good photography. Mm -hmm. Most of that's gone now. And I thought, wow, this is pretty 
the impact was cool. This is cool. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there you go. And then I got a job. We were, I'm, it was all by happenstance. I'm not kidding. I'm not. And then I, I got into a situation where they needed a publisher who runs the whole paper. And they asked me to do it. Where was it? Where was that? Same, same that place. That was Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Okay, so you're kind of bopping around. Oh yeah, I was moving all the time. And the pu- a publisher is different from an editor, right? The editor mm. works for the publisher. The publisher, you know, a lot of people's minds is in charge of the business. Okay, advertising, circulation, money coming in, money being spent. In my case, because I like the editorial side, I, I always stayed very involved in content. And is that normal for a publisher? No. Okay. But but you hadn't had business experience before that or had no. you? And so, as an editor, whenever you're an editor at the other paper, <clears throat> did they ever, did you work closely with the publisher that much or did I kind of learn his job or role? No. So did, <laughs> okay. you, did you have so, any idea what you no, were the doing? The publishers that I got along with best were the ones that left me alone. Gotcha. So, but you, then you took a job as a publisher even though you didn't know anything about it. Right. Okay. Good. There's a theme here. Well, no, the reason that I did it is because I, I, did I didn't want to work for a publisher. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And a... I thought, well, I can do both. I can do, I can do both things. So there's, yeah. a, there's a theme of kind of like just saying yes to the opportunity, figuring it out. And then also the other theme of like, I want to kind of be left alone to do my own thing. Both of them. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me (laughs) what to do. Both of them, I'm not bragging, both of them would be accurate. Uh Um, You know, what's the, uh, it's the pastor quote about uh, uh, opportunity favors the prepared mind. Um, When opportunities came up, I mean, I knew that I wanted to continue to grow and... uh, I left the editorship of the small paper and went back to work as a reporter again because I realized that I needed to get better. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of, that takes some humility. And so it looked like I took a step back uh, to everybody, including my wife at the time. And uh, But it was because I knew that I was the editor of a daily newspaper. I was 22 years old and there was nobody to teach me. And I, I went back to that paper in Jackson, Michigan, where I hadn't done well. Mm-hmm. And I worked for the toughest editor, day-to-day editing stories there. And he made me a better reporter. That's probably what made you a good newspaper man in general was you you did it all. I'd say when I went back to do that job is when I probably became a newspaper man. You know? uh-huh. You're like, mm-hmm. I want to be a newspaper for the rest of my life. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. this industry. Yes. That's interesting. So you become a publisher. You got to figure out business stuff. Right. Was that fun? Did you like it? Was was that were you good at it? Not particularly. Um, to any of those questions. <laughs> I took over a paper that um, was in the midst of a labor strike. Nobody wanted the job, by the way. <laughs> it was very dangerous. Um, and Why was it dangerous? Because of the strike? Like- uh, the strikers were angry people. Mm-hmm. And they were literally in the streets rioting in front of this paper in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, which is an old coal mining town. Interesting. Coal mining and um, uh, some of uh, um, uh, 
some of the most famous early legal battles about labor came out of the coal industry in um, uh, in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. It's called anthracite hard coal deep mining. Lots of accidents, lots of abuses by the uh, coal companies, mm -hmm. and uh, and then it went from a coal town to to um, um, into the um, uh, fashion uh, manufacturing clothing business and uh, textiles, N another big union thing. And so it was a very union-oriented town. Mm -hmm. And um, the union members at the paper that Capital Cities bought all walked out and strike one night and started their own paper. <laughs> and... Uh, so when I took over, it was dangerous because they were angry. Um, and um, they didn't just run the newspaper. They ran the town. And um, and um, we were losing a million dollars a month. Wow. Oh, wow. But Capital Cities uh, made a lot of money. And they felt like they had been tricked <laughs> when they bought the paper. And um, they just said, well, we're going to stay there. We're not going to close it down. We're not going to leave town. We're not going to fight with these people anymore either. But um, so they, the union people all had their own paper. It's still, that town today still has two daily newspapers, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Probably population of 40,000, 50,000. And um, we hired all new people. Um but the, so capital cities, the people that own it, that we talked about Disney and stuff, they, right. that's who they, but they told you, you have to turn this thing around. Right. And they said, uh, we're not leaving. Um, and I'm saying there's, there's no the town's playbook. corrupt, which it was. There's no playbook for how to turn a newspaper around. I'm assuming, uh, content. So great content. We lost all of our advertisers. We lost all of our subscribers. We had 70,000 paid subscribers. We lost them all. Oh, wow. And um, um, and so the way you start is content. And I didn't – no one wanted to advertise with us anyway, so I didn't have the pressure of having Pleasing to create app. a lot of revenue. But I did have to become creative, and I had to figure out how to bring money in. And I also had to figure out how we could convince – the city and the county that we were decent people that wanted to be civic contributors. So we did a lot of things for the community and it took eight years to make a profit. Oh, wow. Um, and the month, the first month that paper made money was my first month in Fort Worth. I left, I got hired then, then capital cities moved you, uh, moved said, do you want to go to Fort Worth? Because, because you're doing a good job, I, I'm assuming. I think part of it was I had, uh, my family and I had lived in a lot of, under a lot of pressure and stress for eight years. Um, so I think part of it, they felt sorry for me. <laughs> and they thought, oh, go to Fort Worth. This is the, and it was the best place we had. Everybody, everybody that was there, we owned eight or nine or 10 newspapers then Everybody wanted to come to Fort Worth, mm -hmm. and there was no applying or anything. It was just like the smoke comes out for the Pope. They go, you're it. Mm -hmm. And the guy flew into Wilkesbury, said, you want to go to Fort Worth? I said, yeah.
Mm. Um, I want so I want to I want to pause you on on two two things. So the the first is you're like content. Content is the is the key, which I think is interesting because I think that is still so true. Like look at the music industry and how it's changed, and the newspaper industry, which has drastically changed, and in news and it's still content. Like great content consistently drives things. If you're not, if it's not good and you're not showing up and producing a lot of it, like that, that's the key. I think it's the key to business success. I think it's the key to marketing success. But anyways, you, you had mentioned that. I think that's, it's still well, true. Well, it is the key and, and unique content in a local market, local content. Um, I'd been in the business a long time and we took my youngest daughter um, on a Disney cruise. It wasn't for free. I don't think, I, I maybe wasn't, I think I had parted ways with Disney by then. You ever been on a Disney cruise? <laughs> no. I don't think you can pay me to do a Disney cruise. <laughs> that sounds pretty tough. Well, I have one word for you. Don't. <laughs> um, cruises are hard enough. I've done a bunch and, of cruises. Uh, and the pools, you know, are made for like... <clears throat> 200 people, but there are 800 in there. Oh, gosh. That <laughs> and miserable. so my daughter wanted to get in a pool one day, and I said, all right. And <laughs> guy right next to me, you know, no COVID in those days. Uh -huh. um, the guy right next to me said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm in the newspaper business. This is a true story. She's always wondered exactly what is it you have that other people don't? Why would why would people want to be in the newspaper business? What is it that you have that makes you unique? And I was there, you know, trying to keep from bumping into people. And <laughs> I said, content. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. It's that's what that's what we have is content mm -hmm. and it's got to be, you know, and you hope that it's, um, important, fun, important content. And, you know, I was lucky when I ran the star Telegram, we had 400 people in the newsroom. That's crazy. Covered a lot of stuff. Yeah. I was, I was reading there was fi like 1500 people. 1500 employees. <clears throat> Bonkers. Okay. So okay. I, I want to, like actually add a few notes to that. It's it's almost like this translates into like whenever you're starting a business from scratch because essentially that's what you're doing. You have no revenue, you know, mm -hmm. whenever you go to take this publishing job. and Or customers. You or no cu customers. Yeah, exactly. You have no customers. You lost all your subscribers. You're literally having to start from scratch. And now you're, you know, you have a paper, but at the, at the pretty much at this point, it's non-existent. And you're going to st start from scratch. And, and what you said, I, th I think you said three things. Uh, you said create good content and obviously tell good stories. That was the first thing you were, you were saying, but I think you also said two things that contribute locally to your city. Like is, is what you started to do is like you, you said, we're going to tell good stories, but also we're going to focus on serving the people that we're, that are our customers. And I'm just going to start serving them. I'm going to tell good stories. I'm going to serve those people. And then you said another thing that I think is a, a side note. That's really good is get creative on how to bring in revenue because there's no revenue coming in right now. So I got to get creative on how to do that. And I think those are some like really, really good nuggets on how that, that happened. And the fourth thing 
is I don't know how you overcome like death threats to your family, but I mean, <laughs> you know, cause I'm sure you're getting death threats and you're getting newspaper mail and stuff like that. Hopefully that's just not the, the case for most uh, business owners <laughs> starting a company. No, it was, you know, um, I'm not that reflective and, um, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, when I was asked to take over that paper and we lost all of our customers and all of our advertisers, I'm talking about all of them. Yeah. And, um, and we're losing a million dollars a month. Um, that's where I learned about business. Mm -hmm. when, you know, you asked that a while ago, mm -hmm. that's when I, that was just, that was, that was an MBA. That was an MBA because I didn't have people that were just – I worked for a great boss um, when I had that job. And um, he used to say, well, here's Richard. Uh, he gets an unlimited budget every year, and he manages to exceed it. <laughs> and uh, But they did. I had a lot of leeway and as long as we – and we started to build back advertisers and build back – um, mm -hmm. readers and because we had good honest content um but i think and, that's a like that is the playbook for sixth avenue homes like we had yep. no customers but we had this idea of kind of right. but we were we cared i, I my, from my experience from the band was content right. is what sells the band so with with the restaurant and then six, seven homes, we, we just put lots and lots of good, compelling content. It was little sound bites on social media, but that's what grew all the business and the, right. you know, the customers came because we were telling good stories, you know, which is, it's interesting. It's different industries, but the, but same, the same principle. And, and what you, what I would say both the, both um, Jamie, you and Jimmy is had, which is valuable is you started that business, um, entrepreneurs, um, from scratch. I really learned a lot more about business when I bought the business press and owned it by myself. Mm -hmm. I discovered that when I worked for capital cities, ABC and on and on, you know, when you've got somebody, doesn't matter whether they're in New York, Los Angeles, whatever, with a big pot of money. Yeah. The cushion. Uh, that's much easier than when it's your money um, and, you, and, and you're fully responsible for it. So I would say I started to learn business in Wilkesboro when I got that job. But I really, um, so I bought the business press with investors. Then I bought them out. So when I had a bigger company, I then got out of that. I, I had a bunch of investors from New York. I didn't like them. We didn't get along very well, and so I left. I started that company. It ultimately went public, and uh, um, but um, I just didn't like the, the. It was private equity money, and it was I didn't like it. A lot uh, of strings all they attached. cared about was money. Yeah, strings and, attached to um, it. And so I bought the business press. It was a way of exiting that partnership. And. Um, I had a friend at the time who was in the sand and gravel business in Waco. And we, we were showing cutting horses at the time. We were driving down the road one Saturday. And 
All right, guys, we're interrupting your podcast experience once again. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we are giving you something for free. So it's totally worth it. Yeah. We recently released a document called The Storytelling Pathway on our website. It is our playbook for success, for growing brands, for marketing. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's every, literally everything that we do at Sixth Avenue Storytelling, and we want to share it with the world. We want to give it to you. So in addition to these nuggets that you're learning on this podcast, you can get our free playbook, free manual for how you grow your business from Sixth Avenue Sixth Storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah, it's that's the right. Storytelling, and it's really, really good. It's Where do you find it? It's SixthAvenueStorytelling.com. There you go. And it's good. Go get it. Go download it. I promise it's going to help your business. I said, what do you do every day when you come into work? He had worked for Caterpillar as a salesman at one point in time. So he had worked also from corporate America, and I had. Now he had a sand and gravel business in Waco. He said, oh, you know, get the mail. We see how much, how much money came in. And he said, by the end of the day, I see how much money we brought in, and I have a pretty good idea of how much money went out and how much money we owe. He said, that's it. (laughs) And I was like, wow. (laughs) You you think at the Star Telegram I ever knew how much money came in every day or how much money went out? You didn't? You didn't know? No. Really? No, it was was millions of, tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, we're talking $350 million. we had 300 some odd thousand subscribers. Yeah. Um, no, every, at the end of every month, I went through the financials to see where we were up, where we were down versus the same month in the previous year and versus the budget that we had. But when he broke it down that way, I was like, wow. And by the way, when I got to the star telegram, this, this is bragging, but I, I don't mean it this way. We didn't have a, we didn't have a customer service department at the Star Telegram. How how who how are people subscribing? Well, we had a circulation department. You either take it or not take it. Okay. You, um, <laughs> you, you had an ad department where we <laughs> would raise the rates sometimes twice a year. You know what your choice was? You could either pay it or not advertise. Uh-huh. If you got a problem, you can talk to no one. <laughs> right. Exactly. Thank you very much yeah. and goodbye. Um, so. I was like, God, we got to, I learned that in Pennsylvania. I thought we got to get a customer service, customer service department that is, that is trained to do what? Say yes. Don't be saying no. Newspaper business is one of the reasons it fell apart. Had all kinds of crazy rules. It made sense only to it. What do you mean? Like, give me an example. We will not take a picture of a uh, check passing. Jamie and Jimmy donate $50,000 to a uh, homeless cause, uh, abused children. And, uh, hey, we're going to give them a check today for $50,000 out of Sixth Avenue Homes. We'd like to have a picture in the paper. Uh, sorry, Jamie uh, and Jimmy, we don't run check-passing pictures. It's just ar- arbitrary rules. Absolutely. Every paper I worked at. Uh-huh. We don't know. <laughs> Interesting. That does seem weird. 
A lot of rules like that. Uh-huh. A lot of rules like that. These that, are that, journalism. that have nothing to do with the customer. Yeah. Am I as- we have the rules. This is the way we do it. You do it our way. Yeah. And I'm assuming your personality, based on what we've unpacked thus far, arbitrary rules and you do not get along. Well, just because the do it, do it because you've always done it is literally like right, the I'd death of a business. True. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it would be like, how does this make sense? Yeah. Did, did you get rid of some of that? Did you change the culture a little bit in, in that? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it'd be like this. We are going to take pictures of people passing checks to some nonprofit. Yeah. And we're going to have, we have customer and you know, service. Yeah. It's a, yeah. a start telegram. You know, I don't know. We had 12 photographers. I won't do that. Fine. Find someone who will. Yeah. Um, this is pretty simple. Um, these people are doing good things. Here's another arbitrary rule. <laughs> this yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Christmas time one year. Our largest advertiser were do- they were was Dillard's. Uh-huh. We do a story on Christmas buying trends. I'll read it. And it says, you know, up, down, this or whatever. Uh, Everybody's mentioned in there but Dillard's and what their business is. So Star Telegram, newsroom, one floor up from mine. This did not make the news people there happy, by the way. I don't know what... I thank goodness we never had a, one of those 360 things where they get to judge the boss and vote <laughs> on them. Uh, I went up and said, hey, uh, Dillard's isn't in here. We don't do stories on advertisers. Hmm. You don't think it might be interesting to know whether their business is up or down, whether they advertise or not? Nope. We don't do business on, we don't do stories on it. On the people paying the bills. On the people paying who, the who bills. Who are a big part of... For, right. For, and people yeah. outside the business, they don't understand that. Yeah. Now, what you don't do is when the head of Dillard's gets arrested by Jimmy and he calls and says, I don't want that in the paper. You say, sorry. Yeah. Couldn't have to do that. Yeah. You know. You ran through a barrier at 180 miles an hour. So did, so did they cover Dillard's? They put it in there? Next time we did a story, they did, you know, <laughs> yeah. a year later at Christmas. Uh, <laughs> gosh, man. But no one called me from Dillard's or anything. It's just, yeah. just some a weird. lot of arbitrary rules. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you they exist today. Hmm. And a lot of the rules that I would say I was against and undid, like a, you know, it snapped right back into place yeah. the minute I left. <laughs> so... So can you explain, we'll jump back into the story here in a little bit, but can you, how does a newspaper make money? Is it, is subscribers the biggest piece of that? No, advertising. Advertising is the biggest piece of it. Mm -hmm. So we're, so the idea is, is I'm, we're creating content that people want. People are subscribing, we make a little bit from that, but the advertisement is what fuels it all. So the old model, which still works in a, in in online and, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm in the minority on this, but it's the same. The playbook's the same. You have compelling, doesn't even have to be compelling. You have content that people want. They pay for it, or right now they just read it for free. Mm-hmm. You take that audience to whom? Advertisers and say, wouldn't you like to reach these people? With your message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, here's what it costs. And so subscribers, they barely cover the cost of producing the paper and getting it delivered, in yeah. fact. Um, Helpful to uh, have, but not the right. linchpin. Um, I mean, you really have got to have, you know, that was that once people start paying for it, you can't get off that model because you get hooked on it. But but what you really want is readers. And and so advertising pays for it. You haven't asked this, but I'll tell you, um, I don't get a lot of – I don't know how many people would agree with this. What changed the newspaper business more than anything else? Oh, the internet. Oh, you're being killed by the internet. Everybody – no. Um, Craigslist. Oh. Hmm. Classified advertising at a newspaper. If you bought a classified ad back from when I came there, 86 to 97, yeah. you wanted to sell a litter of puppies. Yeah. Very expensive. Like how much? How much people pay for classifieds ad? If you want to run a class, I'm going to make it up. Yeah. I don't know. Right? I don't know. I'm going to say if you want to run a classified ad, uh, uh, Jamie I's six puppies, uh, <laughs> all lovable, friendly. Yeah. House trained um, <laughs> call um, for a week, seven days, $500, $700, maybe So you're thousand. making a lot of your revenue from the, from the oh. classified section. If you looked at the Star-Telegram during the time I ran it, yeah. when we went from that $125 million up to over <clears throat> $300 million, our growth— and revenue was driven, revenue was driven by classified, but more importantly, profit. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. If we made $10 million a year in 1986, um, and then in 1987, we made $12 million, made profit at the end of the day, that $2 million, 10 to 12 would be what classified advertising growth was. Wow. Boom, boom. Because Directly to the bottom line. Because it doesn't take any thing, it doesn't cost any money to make classifieds. Like you're not paying photographers and reporters <laughs> and you just I get someone that. on a key, type that. it and put it in. And weren't, right. weren't they like selling houses on, on, on oh, yeah. classifieds? Oh yeah, houses, and, cars. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I never thought of that. That, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. So I assumed, I went, wow. So I went to uh, uh, the Newspaper Publishers Association, National One, uh, which I was never very active in, called me and said, we'd like John Roach, who ran Tandy and Radio Shack, the shop, Radio Shack at the time, to speak at our convention. So I called him and asked him if he'd go, and he said he would. So uh, he gave a speech, and uh, they asked him some questions. And as he was leaving, I went up and thanked him and uh, – um, you know, in those days, Fort Worth, what was one thing that was cool about Fort Worth was you had the Star Telegram, you had Radio Shack Tandy, American Airlines, um, uh, Burlington Northern, um, um, Pier One. They were right here. Mm -hmm. And there were half a dozen people that, and they were all very community minded. You could say, hey, would you do this? Would you do that? Well, we need to raise money. It was, you know, it had some downside but it was good in those days so i'd asked him to go speak here i didn't want to do it but he did and on his way out he saw me and he said these guys just asked me the same questions he said i spoke here 
10 years ago or something like that. So they just asked me the same questions they asked 10 years ago. Uh-huh. That was what the industry was like. Okay? It just wasn't thinking. No. And so Craig Newmark followed him on the stage. Because that the Craigslist guy? Yeah. Oh, wow. About half of the audience left. Got up and walked out. Not because they didn't like him. They just didn't care. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, you could advertise those puppies, your car, apartment for rent on Craigslist for free. Yep. That was the death knell of daily newspapers, hmm. according to me. You would know. Well, I don't get a lot of people that <laughs> yeah. agree with me on that, but that's it. I mean, I saw that happen. Hmm. What we'll, did newspapers do? They kept charging as much as they could yep. for classified advertising. And what would you, the opposition, or not an opposition, but what would other people say? No, that's not correct. What the death of newspapers Just was. internet in general. Internet, internet in general. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you would think, <clears throat> or like maybe a lack of movement towards or acceptance of that possibly. Well, I'd or, say on arrogance. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Arrogance. Because it was the same with music was, you know, people started downloading stuff on Napster. You know, when we were in college, we were, we were downloading on Napster oh, yeah. Morpheus. But the record labels, instead of saying, this is an opportunity, they were, let's fight it. Let's, you know, fight right. it as hard as we can. We're going to sue them. We're going to try to take yeah. them down. And so they were, yeah. they all started going bankrupt because they, instead of saying, okay, how do you monetize this? How do you embrace it? How do you, how do you dive into what people are already doing? They fought it for a long time before they finally, and then they threw the baby out with the bathwater with streaming and, 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 you know, it's worth fractions and fractions of pennies. But anyways, there's yeah, no, it's a, a, a lot of correlation hmm. be- between, between those. And then when newspapers finally went online, they offered it for free. Yep. They should have started charging right from the. Yep. So it, it, it was for free as soon as it went online. Yeah, they because didn't. they were panicked by that point. Okay, Star Telegram doesn't start didn't start charging until like less than ten years and ago. They right? started putting up yeah. paywalls, and uh-huh. I hate paywalls. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have what's called a limited one at the business press. I don't even like that, but people I work with want to do it. It's, you know, if I I see a story that I want to read, now I pay for the New York Times, Washington Post, and some other things, Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> um, but if I see a story I want to read, and I hit get paywall i just google and safari and i find it eventually and read yeah. it for free yeah. um so they 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 missed that boat which they should have started from mm. from the beginning doing that and they they didn't do it when we had <clears throat> just to be clear when i came to the star telegram they had a thing called star text which today you would call an online newspaper yeah my involvement is i i helped grow it um you could bank online, what we now call online. We had an email system. We didn't call it email. You had to plug your your uh, computer had to be plugged into a phone modem. Okay. You could bank online. You could make plane reservations through, through Saber through, online. Through the Star Telegram service? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> Star Text. Um, you could get news online, but most importantly, at... 12.01 in the morning, we loaded all the information in, and the first thing we loaded was all the classified advertising. Mm. And by morning, if you were selling a car, a 56 Ford for $1,500, 
there were people that knew they could sell it for seventeen hundred. So by the time the complaint we got is by the time the paper came out. Oh, they missed the boat. Yeah, they were gone because people that understood what they could buy and sell for and knew about star text would would cost nine ninety five a month. We had five thousand subscribers. We were never able to grow it any bigger than that. But see that that to me. And what what years was that? Was that well, it was eighty six when I got here, and then eighty seven we really started you would to do develop that in the it eighties and grow was there it. Internet it went into the late nineties, early two thousand, and actually, uh-huh. so Disney sold the papers to a company called Knight Ritter, and they had their own yeah version of that, and so they cut it out. They, okay. It was bad idea. Man, that is a crazy. I. I I didn't, literally didn't know the internet existed. And, and then, you know, along those lines, because you mentioned it, um, I had this idea. It was mine. Um, the cassettes. That we we <laughs> had we went into a studio about 11 o'clock at night. We had a guy that was a former radio announcer. Sure. Who had a radio voice and a radio face. And, um, um, and he had a sidekick who was a woman. And we would give them the top half a dozen or 10 stories that were going to be in the next morning's paper. And they turned that into a newscast onto a, uh, onto a cassette. And then we delivered that cassette with your newspaper. To like your, wrapped up in a little plastic bundle. Right. That's cool. And, and so, so on your morning we, so commute, we, your drive, you could listen to it. Right. And, and the reason that we did it is I get up early and um, I would be out driving at between five or six in the morning. And I began to realize how much traffic there was at that hour, particularly going towards Dallas. And I thought we were delivering the paper at six. And I thought they're not, they're gone by the time we're delivering the paper to their front door. Yeah. So we changed the delivery time. to I think five, not popular. And, uh, and then we started sampling these cassettes. And what we discovered is that people would, if they didn't listen to it in the car, they'd listen to it in the office. But more importantly, they lived, they listened to it at night, weird, on their way home. And we tracked it. We had great statistics on it. In um, the same way you listen to the podcast on your way home. from Exactly. Walker, or while you're and doing And I dishes. could not get, and this is when the change was going on. The people at Disney had no interest in it at all. I'm like, we're on to something here. And they were like, yeah, well, we're not going to fund it any longer. No. So were people paying extra for that? No. Oh, you just you just were giving it to people. Right. I was hoping to sell it to That's pretty cutting edge. <clears throat> well, yeah, it's a it's podcast. super cutting edge. <laughs> yeah. But what's, so, so going back to I the, gave a speech at a newspaper convention about it. Most of the people fell asleep. Oh my God! I'm not kidding. Because you, because like I'm a big believer. Like coming from the music industry, I think the music industry got it wrong because they they fought Napster, they fought streaming, they fought the internet, and then finally they were like, "It's free, Spotify. It's 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 all right. now. It's all free. It's like and which crippled our income." But when you look at the movie industry, the movie industry didn't really fight it. You know, they they if you still want to see the movie when it comes out, you pay the bucks to go to the theater. And then, you know, eventually, you know, three months later, if you want to rent it for $11, it's a block. It was a blockbuster. 
and then you know eventually it would could wind up on streaming or it was it was Netflix but, but mu, mu, the movie industry never got rid of you know the, if you want the content first you pay for it and if you want it a little bit later you you know you pay less and if you want it on TV and you want it to be free well you're just going to watch it 6 months later and i i felt like if the newspapers and music had sort of embraced that philosophy of you want the content first at 12 8 you know 1201 a.m. pay for it you know, right. and we'll give it to you for free on the internet 24 hours later if they had staggered it i i think there's you know the, the kind of went from fighting it fighting it to here it's just free it's all it's all uh, just free this is pretty broad uh statement but I'd say the music industry, the media business. Um, and I was in corporate America for a long time. And I told you, I thought I was like a corporate executive. I, I, I wasn't, by the way, in, in a lot of ways. Temperament, I just wasn't. But um, uh, e even though we had a lot of success, but it was with other people's money, um, we just happened to be a little better than the other average people. Um but corporate America, in my mind, um, rewards mediocrity. They don't reward people that bust through the door, go up through the ceiling, that challenge the, the risk -taking. whatever. They, they basically get along and they whatever, and corporate profits go up. And but both they, those ideas were very cutting edge. The, the star, what was it called? The star text. Yeah, and the cassettes. I mean, that's those are could have potentially revolutionized things. Had StarTex could have. I'll tell you out. the mistake I made. Is the guy that developed it was, I got to be near genius and a really good guy. I said we need to sell this to other papers. And he said okay. And I said I've got someone in mind. He said no, I'll sell it. And I said, okay. He's like a developer. Yeah, he's a tech guy. Not a sales. He's a propeller head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, okay. Yeah. And he couldn't sell it. But he, couldn't, he could barely sell it to me. Um, uh, that, that's where we really messed up. We could have grown that. And then, you know, the cassette thing could have worked, but I needed – corporate people that would pay for it and yeah. so you could really experiment all we needed was a couple advertisers yeah. and as i said radio shack they were giving us the cassettes for free wow wow like cassettes because they said radio shack on it or something i, I guess it might have i don't even remember yeah I don't know. But I, I do think the the phrase of corporate America rewards mediocrity because I mean, you know, they're they're looking for small marginal profits and you're you're presenting this never before done, you know, essentially a 1980s podcast, you know. Um <laughs> and and I, I just I, I do think that that's an interesting thought and I mean as as you're making more money and 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 you, know, you get to be this conglomerate, right? That's just yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see that from a risk versus reward type of thing. They're like, we don't need to risk anything because we already own all of this stuff. We're looking right. for efficiency, profitability, and you're looking to change. You're looking to move. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting, interesting. You, I don't know. you two guys are entrepreneurs and you're um, and you're risk takers. And um, and what sometimes those risks, um, you know, come out of 
a born of necessity, like, we better find a better way to do this. Yeah, that's right. Or we're not going to make it. Yeah, when, right. you're, when you're bootstrapping it and it's your money, right. you're, you're like. Yeah, and so it's not, it's not the way. I, and that's a, it's a broad generalization sure, and probably sure. not. And not true for all companies and not true for um, all CEOs so or can, anything. But. So to, to di divert a little bit back to, you, you, you take over the Star Telegram. Can, can, you, can you talk about two things? One, you're going from this little, little town, little newspaper to 1,500 employees. So I'm curious what that experience was, was like leading and managing such a giant team. And then two, you talk, you know, you essentially doubled the revenue and the size. I'm curious your experience leading and managing what that was like and how, what you learned in that. And then two, how did you grow it so rapidly and incrementally? Well, um, you know, the, the difference for me initially was I had a team of, let's say, 10 executives. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a guy on that team that everybody wanted to be the publisher. That mm -hmm. was not their choice. Mm -hmm. And they were already the fastest growing newspaper in the capital cities group. 1986, savings and loans failed. Banks started failing. That's right. Real estate cratered. Mm -hmm. uh, from 85 to 86 or 86 to 87, I don't remember, oil went from $67 a barrel down to about 30 35 mm -hmm. Our largest advertiser was a department store called Monig's downtown. Okay. Yeah, that's right. They were our largest advertiser. They went out of business. Wow. That same year, fall of 86, we built, we, we opened a new printing facility down south of Fort Worth off 35. That added, that, the depreciation on that building added $7 million of cost to my budget every year. I didn't build it. I won my idea wasn't. So I came in, the economy was crazy. I thought this was going to be a dream job for me. <laughs> you get thrown into another hard situation. Yeah. I come in, our largest advertiser goes out of business by December. Bank savings and loans are failing. Oil prices drop in half. Um, and, um, I have a group of executives who think they are all in the a, on the A team, mm -hmm. and they were. Yeah, they had the growth that they had been part of was phenomenal too. And we also had the morning news saying they were going to open an office in Fort Worth and whatever. That was an advantage I had. I'd been in a competitive newspaper market that that. That didn't exist already by the mid-'80s, someone that had had to compete. Mm -hmm. And so I was coming in going, whoa, we got a crisis on our hands here. We're going to have to resolve this because, you know, our performance affected the share price of Capital Cities, ABC. So we're responsible to who? Our employees, the community, our shareholders. There's a big group you're responsible to in corporate America, and I get that. And they were all like, and I'm saying we would have to, we had to do this. We got to try that, and they were like, "What? You're coming from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania? <laughs> yeah, telling us yeah to, you know, no." And so I had a almost a hundred percent turnover with the executive staff. 
most of them left on their own. They were able to go to other Cap Cities papers because they thought I was nuts. And you were young, They'd right? Probably right. Thirty nine. Thirty nine. Those other problems. That's like our age, though. Uh-huh. Running. This and show. I was thirty nine. I had a beard, uh-huh. and I was divorced, uh-huh. and a Yankee. All <laughs> yeah. oh, everything's working. everything's it's against done. me, right? Yeah. And um, so you know, uh, we uh, we aggressively would raise rates. We'd take a risk and raise our ad rates the, and the ad rates. And they'd say why, and we'd say, and we were we we improved the paper right off. I hired a new editor. He just died this past summer. You improved the content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We and we hired. We hired some really new top-level editorial people, mm-hmm. um, and we started doing some investigative journalism that the paper hadn't done locally, city council and some other things where things weren't quite right. And people didn't like it. People in the community, or there was a contingent of one or two people went to New York, said, went to the guy I worked for and said, you need to fire him. He's ruined the community. Um, and I found that out years and years later, um, because we were exposing stuff that was wrong, uh, in government here, but we were gaining readership. We were aggressive in our sales. Um, we were out banging on doors. I mean, literally had what they call boy crews. You take a van and, and before I left the Star Telegram, you couldn't do it anymore. And we'd let 50 kids out on the street. Would you? Subscribed to the Star Telegram for me, you know. Kids. 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Make certain they got holes in their pants. <laughs> Whatever, and they look hungry. Um, and uh, um, we did a crazy promotion. You're going to think this is so simple. You think this is nuts. We made <clears throat> umbrellas with front pages of the Star Telegram or the comics on it. I remember those. Yeah. I remember those. And you could get an umbrella if you bought a one-year subscription to the newspaper and put it on a credit card. All of those elements had to stay the same. Had to be for one year. Had to be on a credit card. Because it would yeah. renew. Exactly. Yeah. I, I my, my parents had the, the umbrella. I remember that. And so it went off like crazy. Yeah. It was... <laughs> The guy at the premium company, they made cups and yeah. whatever, called me many years later. He said, you know, he said, he was getting ready to retire. Yeah. And he said, I, I'm saying goodbye to some people. And I, you know, I kind of forgotten. And I said, oh, thanks. And he said, no. We were maybe a month from going out of business when you ordered all those umbrellas. 100,000 wow. umbrellas or whatever. And yeah. he said, next thing we knew, we were in an umbrella business for for the newspaper industry. And he said, it brought us back and we, whatever. He That's said, I want to cool. thank you for it. I said, well, it was pure luck. But what happened is, it, this happens in business. It took off. It was crazy. And they renewed, right? They, they you know, credit card, bang, bang. Um, and um, what happened? Minute we took our eye off the ball, we started offering an umbrella for six months, then for three months. Mm-hmm. In those days, newspaper subscribers were experts at churn. So you offer the paper, let's say it was uh, $50 a year. Uh, special promotion, 35 a year, they'd buy that. Yeah. 
When that expired, they'd wait and look for the next one. So there's constant churn in those days. You were losing subscribers sometimes almost as fast as you were gaining them. So your specials so your What specials I was looking you. for is a way to gain them <clears throat> and, and keep them. them. Yeah. Keep them, yeah. And uh, so we did that. We did a lot of we did a lot in the community. Um, we did more in the community than had ever been done by the Star Telegram. We sponsored everything you could think of. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that all paid off. People, I think, I, no one ever told me that. But I think they saw we were really, we Invested. were good citizens. Yeah. We were good corporate citizens. Yeah. Yeah, you know, little, little of this, little of that. There's a great interview with Bob Dylan right when he started. He's smoking a cigarette. It's on YouTube. I can't tell you how you find it. It's, you'd love it. Uh -huh. He doesn't want to be there, and he's whatever. And they're telling him, you know, you the, you the next Pete Seeger, or you the next whatever, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson, whatever. And he's there looking. They're trying to get him to acknowledge the impact he's having on society with his great writing and his songs. And they said, well, how would you describe yourself? He said, just a song and dance man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just paper man. I'm just a newspaper, <laughs> newspaper man. I'm just, a, so I'm just an old reporter. So, but while that was, old. while that was happening, were you like, this is amazing. I'm a genius. I'm good at this. This is like, this is <laughs> probably successful. Cro probably crossed my mind. Uh, no, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I was, yeah. I would say that, yes, I had a fair amount of hubris, and we were really successful. We were among the most successful newspapers in the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to say, if I can be good at this business, it can't be that hard. Um, <laughs> I'm a pretty simple guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I got knocked on my ass later several times. Uh -huh. I went into business by myself, so. And That's all gone now. Yeah, that hubris is gone. <laughs> hubris is gone. So, so what was the uh, what was the exit like? Was it something that where it's like, man, I've done this for, you know, almost a, a de over a decade, and I'm ready to kind of, you know, move on to something different? Was it just, uh, I mean, from the Star Telegram? Oh well, um, you know, I got fired twice at the Star Telegram. <laughs> I didn't yeah. research that. Much easier than you might think uh, yeah. to get that. So I was, I was, uh, I was bucking things with Disney. Sure. And uh, they had someone tell me to do something one day, and I said no, and they fired me. Okay. <laughs> and um, and <laughs> so that paper. was on a Friday, and then <clears throat> that Sunday night, a guy named Bob Iger, who went on to run Disney uh -huh. very successfully. He was running the the Cap City's ABC part of the company uh, for Disney. He had been with ABC. And he called me and said, would you go back tomorrow? He said, well, we'd really rather you don't leave. And I said, yeah, I'll go back. Because I, I, had, I'd, I had an a executive team I had hired. Yeah. And I had essentially just walked out on them. But yeah. I, I could not do what I was being asked to do. Sure. And um, um, so 
I thought, I got to go back for them. And I said, but what about my boss? Well, he's going to be your boss, but you're probably not going to hear from him much. And I said, well, because this is going to happen again. We're not going, this is not a good match overall for me, but I'll go back. So I went back on Monday and said, I'm the publisher again. Um, And uh, that lasted about six months. Okay. And, And so... When I left, to answer your question, I th- I had thought this a long time. Mm-hmm. We were mailing a lot of money to New York every month. Yeah. And I thought, I'd like to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I'm going to go out and raise money and do this for myself. I didn't realize how hard it was to do it by and for myself. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't realize as much about running a business, small business or large as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I discovered that by, so I, and I, I didn't have a lot of people knock on my door either, by the way, I had the Washington post, uh, uh, uh Don Graham, who was a son of the legendary publisher, Catherine Graham called me and asked if I wanted to go to work for them. And, um, and I said, you know, I want to try to do this myself. Yeah. So you told you turned down the Washington Post. Well, they weren't going to bring me to the Washington Post originally. They were going to have me go to a paper they owned in Oregon at the mm-hmm. time or something. Okay. But yeah, it was, it was go do that and then come, mm-hmm. come know, to the Post. Yeah. Come be a. Wow. Come to the big. T- that, that's the, no. yeah. That's a, that's a, that's. Yeah. A, so. So you so you went and just did your own thing, and then you said learn some lessons. In that, what is do your own thing? What what is, what did that entail? You raised some some money to buy some papers. Is that is that? I right? raised a ton of money. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I went to meet a guy in. Um, I met a guy here locally. He said he had a lot of money and he could raise a lot of money. He was a total carnival barker, but he took me to <clears throat> Nashville. Where I recorded my first song, no. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I met some investment guys there, and they liked me, and they took me to, literally, to New York to a private equity firm. And they said, "How?" Ba-? I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have anything. <clears throat> but I did have a record of yeah. what I'd done. What and I they did. said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to buy a paper and turn it around. And this is what year? 1998, as things are about to change even more drastically with internet. And um, um, they said, well, how much money do you want to raise? And at the time, I realized the Star-Telegram had revenues of about 300, 350 million, somewhere in there. And it was too big. I didn't like running a company with 1,500 employees. Yeah. You don't know, you, you know, you don't have a lot of interaction. They view you as some big you know, as a suit, suit. yeah, probably correct. Um, and I just didn't like it. I liked it. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I don't want to be that big. I'm sitting there. And the guy said, um, I, I asked you how, how much money do you think you need to buy a newspaper? And I thought, uh, eh, 300 million was too big. I said, hundred million. That's <laughs> so much money. hundred million. And he said, done. No wow. way. And he said, I got another meeting. 
we'll get back to you. And we got him walked out. And the guy, he died last year. It was a guy named from, from Nashville. We got outside. He said, what happened? He said, you just got $100 million um, to start a newspaper company. I didn't realize what it was. I, I was, you know, no, I, that was today. That's, so you raised $100 million. They like wrote you a check? How's that even work? <laughs> That's insane. Um, I went out, you know, well, we, so they, they did some due diligence. Um, and then we had a um, conversation and they said, you know, we've, um, the guy that said, I'll give you a hundred million left the company <laughs> and probably because he's doing that too often. No, he was got another <laughs> job. And so a new guy took over and, uh, they just said, we have a fund of $100 million that you can go spend on newspapers. Um, and now, <clears throat> when I went out to look for papers to buy, um, I was sp spending my money at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I hired a couple people uh, almost right off that had been with me at the Star Telegram who wanted to leave when I did. And um, the best newspaper broker in the country then and today is in Santa Fe where you just oh, yeah. remodeled a house. Uh -huh. And, um, uh, I called them and said, uh, the guy that founded the firm was a stuffy pipe smoking guy. Always had a pipe in his mouth like that. And I called him and said, uh, yeah, Mr. Dirks, uh, Rich Connor. And I used to be with, he said, I know who you are. Uh, and I said, uh, uh, I've raised some money and I'd like to, they, they broker newspapers. I'd like to look at some newspapers. He said, how much have you raised? I said, hundred million dollars. He said, huh? I don't know. I don't know if you're qualified. I'll get back to you. Wow. So he called me a few days later and said, uh, I've talked it over with my partner. We'll show you a couple of deals, but we're not, we don't really know you. And so they started showing me newspapers that were for sale. And, uh, but I had like, you know, they, I was way down their list on people that, and my papers were selling for 12, 10, 10, 12, 15 times earnings. Whoa. Oh, wow. So if they're making 300 million, they're selling for, 15 times that. Wow. The, yeah. Yeah. Because because the industry was so hot at now, that the, time. The Star-Telegram in those days wasn't making $300 million, but it was bringing in $300 million. But let's say it was probably making... 10% or something. No, more. Probably like $40, 50000000 million. Wow. Oh, wow. The Star-Telegram in those days would have sold for between $600 million and $750 Oh, my gosh. And um, so I started bidding on newspapers, much smaller than that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Little papers. Mm -hmm. And I got outbid constantly. Kind of like the housing market right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bonkers. Yeah. And, For a whole yeah. year, yeah. I got outbid constantly. Yeah. And I, I took a month off. I, I thought, Man, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And I was paying the bills at that point, and I'm like. You're running off savings or. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, 
I literally took a month off and um, I went to Ireland um, and uh, lived over there for a month, five weeks, six weeks. And I came back and I called a guy at the brokerage and I said, you know, it's not working. What, what should I do? And he said, you need to lower your sights, buy some weekly newspapers. He said, by the way, I think they're a better deal. And I have one in Minnesota. And uh, the guy's a very tough guy that owns them. You're going to go through hell dealing with them, but try to buy it. So I'm going to introduce you. And he said, there's no one else looking at it. So oh, everything else was an auction. Mm. And so I bought those papers. I, there were eight of them, I think, around Minneapolis. And the guy did. The guy Put you through the ringer. The yeah. <laughs> um, he was a very shrewd, sharp guy. Uh-huh. And uh, um, he had moved from Minnesota to outside of Nashville. His daughter rode horses, um, Tennessee walking horses. He had made a bunch of money. He made a lot more when we bought the papers. And he built this farm and breeding operation. Now, ultimately, ended up losing it. But he would tell me that he was going to sell me these papers on a Monday, and on Friday he'd call me and tell me he'd changed his mind. And it happened over probably a couple month period. I had an office above my garage. I lived out and I had a ranch out in Acton, and. Uh, I'd sit there on Friday and go, what am I going to do? And then I'd say, huh? Go back at it again Monday. And I'd call him. And he'd say, yeah, you know what? Thought about it. I'm sorry, baby. One day he said to me, so, uh, you know, when we've been talking, uh, I guess you consider yourself a horseman. I said, yeah, I I have. I've had horses my whole life. I don't know. I was showing cutting horses at the time. He said, why don't you come down to Nashville and we'll, I'd like, I'd like to, I'd met him once one-on-one. He said, I'd like to do a one-on-one with you down here at my farm. So I flew to Nashville. I got on, I'll never forget it. I had a blue suit on, loafers, you know, tie. He picks me up at the airport. He drives me right straight to the barn. <clears throat> and he literally brings out this, Tennessee walking horse stallion that he had, who was like, yeah, and they're like, <laughs> and they put this little English saddle on him. He said, "Here you go. I want to see you ride this horse." <laughs> My first, the first paper I bought. And you're in a suit. So they, I got up on there. <laughs> I got my little loafers on there, my French loafers, and mm-hmm. I got this blue suit, and it's, you know, sliding. I can't get a grip with anything. Oh, yeah. And it's uh, an English saddle, which is like a weirder. Right. There's yeah. no, yeah. And I can't, I've ridden horses my whole life, yeah. but, but I couldn't get a grip <laughs> on anything. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, and they, literally, they let him out, and they let him go, and he was kind of frisky, but he, and he says, okay, take him around the ring. So I did. I went around, I don't know, half a dozen times, thinking I'm going to fall off all the time. I mean, it literally is. I'm sliding all over. The uh-huh. And I finally said, stop. And I stopped. And they grabbed the horse, and I get off. And he said, I am going to sell you those newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's a, yeah. That's how you buy. buy so I bought paper, these yeah. eight papers up in Minnesota, and then uh-huh. from there, once we bought those and we were established, and we bought a lot of papers in Minnesota, and then we end up in four states. I think maybe five. I think four, and that's when I had seventy to ninety titles. Wow, that's crazy. But we did it too fast. And mm-hmm. I bought the business press because I wanted to stay in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I bought it. And we had an office down uh, next to Razoo's up above the uh, the that business press office was there in those days. And then we moved across up above um, Haltom's. But what I should have done, a lesson would have been when I bought those papers, I should have gone and lived and worked there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, at that point, you said, how, how many titles? You said... It's between 70 and 90. 70, I say 90, yeah. but that's what... The, someone so, told me it was 90. I, I It was a lot. And so you're you're there going and buying these things, getting the people there, set up and established, and then kind of stepping out, sort of? Oh, I well, mean, you leave, and then you come back once a month. I was traveling a lot, and just like I talked about going up to the newsroom at the Star-Telegram as a publisher... Yeah, you're a suit coming in. You come That's in. That's right. Hey, how y'all doing? You know, how are things? And, they, and do you feel like, like doing this? When is he leaving? Yeah. Um, and you felt like you were the guy from New York, or oh, you know, yeah. whatever. You felt like you were, you know. Almost, I'll tell you another funny which story. Is ironic. Uh, yeah. No one's gonna listen to this. It's like four hours long. <laughs> um, um, so when we bought Minnesota, uh-huh. um, I, I had, I had a friend. Uh, who had been with Capital Cities, and he'd lost his job, and he had four kids, I think. And I brought him in as a partner, um, which was ended up being a mistake. We ended up having a big falling out. But I brought him in as a partner, and um, uh, he's a very analytical guy. I'm not that analytical, and he was very detail-oriented. And so he was with me, and so we went up to uh, – Minnesota. He lived in Connecticut. I lived in Texas. But yes, they thought the money we had was from New York. So they thought I was some New York banker. So we get all the employees together. And there were a lot of them. I had a couple hundred of them, I think, in Minnesota. And we he had prepared this sheet about questions and answers that he knew they'd have. Interestingly, the only thing they were really, they were worried about two things. Am I going to have a job? Are you going to eliminate and what will my benefits be? That was it. Mm. Yeah. Healthcare, 401k, whatever. That was, yeah. and that shocked me. That's all they cared about. Mm. And I used to favor um, double breasted suits at the time. And uh, so I'm there in a double breasted suit and whatever. And there's this guy, he's from some rich town in Connecticut, whatever. And yeah. <laughs> we, people walk out of the room and, uh, as we go to, as we go to leave the room, he shuts the door and he bends over laughing. I said, "What are you laughing about?" He said, "While you were talking, standing up there in your double-breasted suit or whatever," he said. One of the guys in the front leaned over and said, "I think these guys are mafia." <laughs> <laughs> so. so yeah, but yeah, well, you'd go, yeah, well, you're, we're in. Fort Worth, there in Minnesota, yeah. Missouri, yeah. Kansas. Yeah. And part of your your success with the Star Telegram was you were there doing it and leading the team and you built this executive team and you know. But if you're doing this volume, you can't Yeah, I'd agree. I'd, I you know, yeah. I, another way to put it might be that um yeah, I, um I'm 
more effective or better in a smaller group one-on-one. And, um, yeah, I probably wasn't a very, I wasn't a very good corporate executive either. You hated corporate executives. Now you're the corporate executive. I was one. And, uh, and we had an we had an office we had an office with we had a personnel director and we should have stayed if you look at things down we should have stayed smaller, grown more slowly, mm-hmm. and I should have gone to one of the properties and been right there and my partner should have gone to mm-hmm. one, and you know it ended up being successful they went public and long after I was gone they all made a lot of money wow the company went public um, yeah. Um, but I was long gone by then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, that's. And so after that, you, you slowed down at some point, right? Well, um, yes, I, I, I would not intentionally, I'd say, um, I would say I kind of, um, sat down <laughs> um, and thought uh, that it didn't work for me. I was unhappy. I traveled all the time. I didn't like my partners. Um, and I knew that they would sell the business press. And I thought, you know, one of the things uh, that I really wanted to do all along was own a weekly newspaper and be sitting there with my own pipe and tweed jacket with, you know, stuff on the elbows. Going back to the English English professor. <laughs> writing, yeah. Mm. You know, with some with some maybe little round glasses. Because you, you probably know, hadn't written in a in long a bow time. Tie and going. Um you weren't writing at all any, anymore. I no, not when I had the bigger company, yeah. not at yeah. all. And I did it at the Star Telegram. I wrote a weekly column when I was at the Star Telegram. And uh, that's all I really ever wanted to do. Yeah. That's why I got in the business. Yeah. And so you have that and you guys are young. You, you'll have that where you look back. Wait a minute. What is it I wanted to do in the beginning? And um, I had that at moment at the Star Telegram. I was like, I got in this to write and I run the company and I don't write anything. Mm-hmm. And if I want to, I can. I don't have to ask anybody. So I started writing a weekly column then. I'd done a lot of writing before that. So, yeah, I bought the business press from my partners and thought I'm going to, yes, I had a ranch and I'm going to, I got some horses and some cattle and I got a weekly newspaper. And um, what happened is we, and I got some local investors to help me somewhere along the way, not initially. Oh, initially I did. Then I bought them out. Then I brought some other people back in because I wanted to grow it. And once we started doing well, then I wanted what more. Mm-hmm. And so I went and looked at some papers that were for sale here. And I had my largest investor with me, and we got done. He said, "You know, <laughs> I don't want to be in the newspaper business. I actually put some money in to help you. Um, I understand why you want to, and I I support it, but I, it's not what I want to do." Sure. So. Uh, I went out and made a second mistake of raising private equity money again, and I bought a bunch of other newspapers, and that was a mistake um, because I don't like the way those, you know, as I said, they're only interested. They're they're really they're Wall Street guys, even if they're in Dallas, mm-hmm. and some women, 
and they only care about making money. It's the t- turn and churn, or that's all they care burn. about. Yeah, yeah. Get in, get yeah. out. What's yeah. it? That's and yeah. um, I like, and it's just not, not on my high horse of bragging. I like content. I like writing, photography. I like trying to make a difference in the community, and uh, making money is has never been one of my goals, mm-hmm. and. I'm living proof of it today. Uh, I've made a lot of money. I've lost, lost a lot of money on some of these deals mm-hmm. um, because it just was never the driving focus. I mean, you feel like Jimmy you- did a real good summary about two hours ago when he had three <laughs> things. We should have quit that. <laughs> but, what, but you learned you, what you learned from that is, you know, going back to your first your first love and your first joy. Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. And you lost sight side of that, I guess. For yeah. the And do you feel like you you feel like you're back to that now? You feel like you're you're in your sweet spot, so to speak, of of the combination of business ownership slash. You get your cabin in Maine. You yeah. Know. Do you, do you feel right, like you're you're cabin in Maine. you're kind of back to that? If or, I wanted to there... be this cold, I would have stayed there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went to Maine to the cabin in Maine. I think I told you this because I was so worried about COVID mm-hmm. and uh, and no one was wearing a mask in Texas. This is two years ago. So I just up sure. and went there. And then when I got there, little, probably 750 square feet or something. You guys should come rebuild it for me. And <laughs> yeah. uh, built in 1929, long cabin. And I, I tell you what, I realized there I didn't need all the stuff I had. Mm. And I put everything in storage and... Um, I missed Texas, but I thought I was safer there. I got the two shots. I got COVID anyway. I've had the booster. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. But I, I did a lot to avoid it, and I got it anyway. But I'd had two shots by then. Um, yes, um, uh, the newspaper business is hard. The business yeah. press is not what it once was. We've got a quarter of the um, employees we had before COVID – Really, it's really hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. no one wants to adver- no one wants to advertise to begin with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, they yeah. don't want yeah. to, and um, so that's hard. And uh, our online presence is quite frankly huge, but it's very hard to make money online. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you mon- monetize? And it? so, you know, yeah, I'd say back. I love. I love having a weekly newspaper. I love uh, working on content and cover ideas. And uh, but the business part of it's as hard as it's ever been. It's yeah, uh, yep. um, it's very difficult. It's still changing. It's still yeah. changing drastically. Still changing. And it's yeah. but it, but it's interesting too. Like how important that stuff still is on a community level and and nationwide nationwide like. The news is still insanely important and relevant, but it's changed so much. And even what you do at the business press is still so important and relevant for our local micro community, you know, of, of, of the business world. I mean, it was. Well, it, what I worry about it, I can't quote you the numbers, but the number of <clears throat> journalists who were laid off mm-hmm. in the last year, two years, two years for it's enormous. Yeah. It's yep. enormous. Yep. And um, this sounds overblown, but it's a real threat to democracy, in my opinion. Um, you got to have reporters out there know what they're doing 
finding out how government's being run because we rely on them for roads and bridges and health care and all these things. And, you know, and it's just there have always been thieves in government and, and business. And, and, the, and the editors were like or the journalists were the, the like a check and balance. Yeah. You know, um, I don't remember David Halberstam, I think, um, who wrote a great book about Vietnam uh, and what was really going on there. Had a line. If the woman tells you she's your mother, tell her to prove it. <laughs> um, Hemingway also had a line about, um, uh, oh, good reporter has to have a great bullshit detector. Yeah. Um, and they're gone. And, 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 and you know, this is sounds like an old guy looking back. They don't ask tough questions anymore. They don't, I'll give you an example. I, you don't, I want to get you guys into politics, but it's $400 million is going to be spent to dig the ditch a little deeper on the Trinity, which hasn't flooded for a hundred years, but I guess now we're all a little bit safer. It's going to take five to six to eight years before that ever happens. Um, and, and this is the kind of thing that no one in the media did. And we did it yesterday. Kay Granger, her idea of Trinity River vision, whatever, you can be for it or against it. Project's been totally mismanaged. Um, they get 400 million. She comes to town, says they got 400 million along with Mark Vesey, representative Northeast Tarrant County. He's a Democrat. She's a Republican. That 400 million is part of the infrastructure bill that, she, that she's opposing <laughs> and she voted against yeah, it yeah all right but, now but celebrating it now all over town people are celebrating it yeah it's not going to happen for a long time first of all but by the way she voted against it we're the only paper that reported that yesterday and that is i'm it's bragging. Uh, no, I don't mean it that way. Someone else should have known that. Someone else should have known how she voted and what she said about the infrastructure bill. Yeah. And she locked out. <laughs> yeah. Voted against it. Got the money anyway. Yeah. Maybe she put the money in the in the budget for the Army Corps. I don't know. But my point is you don't have enough reporters. Even if there are fewer of them, they're not, they're not out they're asking not tough questions. Yeah. They don't, they, they don't care where they're not people that do not care if they are disliked. Yeah. It's hard. I wasn't that great at it to ask the tough question. Well, I was going to ask you about tough the, question. Well, the, the, the thick skinness you have to have to do that, you know, like as, as a, one of the things I, I like about the business press right now is, is, is one, it's, it's a lot of community news and it's, but, but you you often round out the 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 magazine with a an opinion piece of some sort, and sometimes it's it's leans liberal, sometimes it leans conservative, and sometimes, but it's still a, a nuanced and done in a kind way, which I think is in like I feel like you do a good job of kind of doing both sides sometimes in the business press, which is traditionally like a, a financial business institution, and sometimes you you're not afraid to push the buttons, you know with the, with the grain, sometimes you're against the grain, but to do that, you have to have thick skin. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you have pissed people off <laughs> along the way. 
can you talk a little about like like the <laughs> even looking at like like Bud Kennedy in town, you know, like just reading his Facebook comments stresses me out. The things people say <laughs> say to him, you know, like He's talking about a restaurant. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone, everyone is so opinionated about everything. Can you talk about like what that is like as a journalist to have opinions and then just yeah. piss people off? I have a nephew who's also from Maine. He's a lawyer here in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a litigator. He's a pretty good public speaker. I say to him, I want you to <laughs> give the eulogy at my funeral. <laughs> he said, won't be hard. I'll be the only one there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really, this is a blessing. I wasn't always this way. Um, I don't know when it happened or how. I would like to be liked and be popular, but I can honestly tell you that it never enters my mind. I don't care. I, I don't care. Um, the other thing that would happen to all of us, is you get to be, I'm 74 years old. Uh, I've done a lot of things. I've been up, I've been down, I've been sideways. Um, I've had some very unflattering coverage done of me. Um, and those challenges in your life cause you to, you have to take a look at yourself and say, who who am I? Who am I? Who do I think I am? And if you become comfortable with that, not from a boastful standpoint, go, I know who I am and. I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you think of me. Mm -hmm. And I don't. Uh, And I'm not bragging when I say that. I'm blessed with it. I do not care. Mm -hmm. It frees you up to be honest and true. It frees you up to be you. Yeah. frees you up to have these orange orange spectacles. That's right. That's right. No, it's so... But look, it's... People are mean. <laughs> yeah. And, right. Yeah. And we're so divisive right now. People are mean. It's, yeah. And um and petty. And yeah. you whenever, whenever try you, to rise above it. When you write something, especially in a in a paper, yeah, everybody has an opinion on, on something. Well, and it stays, you know, it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we, we always we always wrap up. And uh, I know we went long, but what day is it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. We always we always wrap up with a, with a question about legacy, and uh, and like and, and it's not sometimes we're talking to people like in their early thirties and they're just starting their careers. And fortunately, we get to talk to you kind of towards the end, like right. It's I'm saying that this, this is, is the last quarter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and uh, from a career standpoint, right? right. And you still have a lot of life to to live and a lot of things to do and experience. But from a career standpoint. You know, there, there is a lot of things that are kind of closed now, you know, and, you know, like I don't want to be a corporate CEO, you know, a, a corporate guy. Right. We know that. And so so as you kind of like you've, you've gone through these ups and downs, like you've, you've said, you know, what do you and you and you just mentioned the eulogy, which is a good good lead up into this question of what is that? What do you want your nephew to say? Like, what do you what do you think is going to be said? Um, what is your, your legacy, legacy that you... here 
what is your legacy here that you you've left and what do you think should be what do you what do you want what do you desire what is that story i mean obviously well my nephew used to say that he was going to get up this is back coming out of my star telegram days that he was going to get up and say most misunderstood man in fort worth (laughs) (laughs) and why is that well, because he thinks I'm a nicer guy than a lot of people. That's do. right. There you go. <laughs> and there I also go. coaxed him into coming here, and he's had a great law career. Great. Yeah. Uh, got three great kids, married, and whatever. Um, well, uh, really, rather than my legacy, uh, I don't think about it that way, but this is the last quarter of the game. Um, uh, I have three great kids, mm-hmm. and I, probably a lot of people come in and say, or. What are you, all my kids. My, I have three wonderful kids. I have a uh, son who lives here, been very successful in the financial world, been on Wall Street, all that. Had his own businesses. He's an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Now he's gone back to work for a company. Um, he's a great father. He's a great guy. I got two daughters who live in New York. One of them is one of the premier. I told you earlier, she's one of the experts in the world on streaming and digital. Uh, in the television industry. She's got two great kids and a great husband who works on climate con- climate change. Mm-hmm. And um, then I have a 21-year-old daughter who um, uh, was training f- for the Olympic trials for this Olympic right now and had a career-ending accident. And uh, For snowboarding. Snowboarding. Yeah, she was right. a snowboard half-piper. She was a national champion in 2018 in her age group, which was 17 and under. Wow. And, um, yeah, really ter- terrific athlete, elite, elite athlete. Oh yeah. And, um, had this devastating traumatic injury, broke her ankle and her leg, and it's now held together with a L shaped aluminum bar. Mm. And she picked up and left the mountains of Colorado and moved to New York city and lived with my daughter for a while. Now she's in college works, uh, in a restaurant, uh, just on her own, yeah. uh, incredibly self-motivated and, um, they're all good people. Yeah. And, um, and in all honesty, I think of it more in a personal sense. Um, I'd say in my life, I wanted to do two things. Um, wanted to be a father, uh, wanted to have children. Yeah. Um, and wanted to write. Hmm. Along the way, I got luckily drawn into this search for truth or fairness as we see it in media. And I, I think along the way, I've influenced a number of journalists on, I think the idea of bias or objectivity is bullshit. <laughs> it's be fair. Try to be fair. Sure. Be fair. We all have biases. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and he, no one's objective. Um, mm-hmm. So I would hope that the legacy would be one of uh, I've I like the old fashioned ideas of news and not believing what someone tells you until they prove it. Uh, being fair and uh, being entertaining to readers because I like people who read. But it would be a personal legacy of I'm proud of my children and our relationship and who they are. Yeah. And uh, and uh, hopefully along the way, I've influenced some journalists to be better journalists. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's great. It. That's that's a good answer. That's a very good answer. 
Well, your story is wild. Yeah. <laughs> this, this has been fun. Yeah. I was going to say, I appreciate the time. It's, it's, it's so interesting just to kind of take, go through that history of, of, I mean, it was specifically Fort Worth news too. I mean, that's, that's super interesting. Okay. We well, all, you guys have asked great questions and yeah. I'm going to have to give you a call because you summed up my career and my interest, those three points, oh, you know, two and a half days ago when we sat down. <laughs> yeah, so you know what? I'm... You were giving me a hard time about how long this thing is. You were like, Jamie, this is too long. And here you are. This may be our longest one yet. <laughs> how about you break it up? How about you do it in, how you do, do, do it in three parts? Three parts over three years. Oh, man. Oh, that's this good. Is good. This is well, good. Well, we appreciate you coming and... Thank you. And, and, uh, and I, I will just like one of the, you know, w one of the reasons we have partnered with the business press on, on this, this production and, and why I was excited to have you here was the, the power of news for some, some young people who are hustling and bootstrapping and trying to, to figure it out and get it started is, is, is huge when you cover those sort of local stories. And I I still firmly believe that the Business Press was the first company that ever wrote about Six Avenue. Yeah, notes. Paul Harrell did it. Paul Harrell, like I cannot he and I feel like he legitimized us. He made us a real company because we were just two friends kind of doing this thing who didn't know what we huh. were doing. But banks wouldn't talk to us. Like it was not a. It, it was. I mean, I've been there. It was not yeah. a real company. And I've been from getting a hundred million to banks wouldn't. Talk yeah, <laughs> but but after that, after we like people knew who we were and banks were calling us, you know, and it, it it and it gave us like confidence, you know, and and multiple times. Then then we got asked to do forty under forty. I was like, I don't even know what this is. How I'm we're, I'm a college dropout and I'm getting asked to do this thing. Yeah, it, it that coverage of just the local community and people doing stuff, which you 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 do really gave us the confidence and authority and and helped us spread our wings it, it gave us a seat at, a seat at the table and so i i am personally appreciated appreciative of it i know it's hard there's trials there's ups and downs but you know i, I feel like your commitment just to to like the three things we talked about make the community better and impact the community as that has shaped our lives personally Congratulations, you made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Stories with Soul. If you enjoyed the interview and like what you heard, please help us out and share, subscribe, and like anywhere you listen to podcasts. When you share and subscribe, it is insanely helpful and allows us to keep producing new episodes. You can always join us directly in the studio by watching the video version on our website, 6thavstorytelling.com. Stories with Soul is brought to you by 6 Ave Storytelling, an organic marketing company building standout brands on the foundation of story. You're obsessed with your business and we want to make the world obsessed with it too. Thanks for listening.